Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints, Episode 2, Equal to the Apostles. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Today, we'll be talking about a saint you've probably never heard of, but should have. I'm not trying to sound like a hipster. Our subject this week is not widely known today, but she's far from obscure in the history of the Church. She was a close friend of St. Paul the Apostle, and has the unique honor of being known as the first female martyr. Her name is St. Thecla. Like St. George, or any figure from the early Church, St. Thecla presents something of a puzzle for historians. Most of what we know about her life comes from an apocryphal text called the Acts of Paul and Thecla, originally part of a longer biography of St. Paul. Written in Greek during the second century, this book was so popular in the early church that it was copied into six different languages. Even though the Acts of Paul and Thecla appeared controversial to some of the church fathers, for reasons we'll get to later, it forms the earliest and most reliable accounts of Thecla's life. According to this story, Thecla was born in the city of Iconium, or Konya, in modern-day Turkey. Her parents were wealthy pagans, but it just so happened that they were the neighbors of a Christian named Onesiphoros, who was probably the same man praised as a good host in Paul's second letter to Timothy. So when St. Paul came to Iconium to preach the gospel, Onesiphoros invited the apostle to stay at his house for the night. Long into the evening, the host and his family spoke with Paul about the Christian faith. Unaware that all the while, a young girl was listening to them through a window next door. Thecla was captivated by the good news. She was particularly drawn to St. Paul's teaching on the life of consecrated virginity, the path of a Christian who would give herself entirely, body and soul, to Christ the Bridegroom. There was only one problem. Thecla's parents had already arranged for her to marry a rich young suitor named Thamiris. For three days after hearing St. Paul's teaching, Thecla lingered at the windowside in contemplation fasting from all food and drink. Eventually, her mother, understandably worried, called upon Thamaris to do something. The suitor quickly figured out that Paul was responsible, and after bribing a couple of men who knew the apostle, Thamaris gathered a gang of thugs to arrest Paul and drag him before the local prefect, or Roman provincial governor. The men who betrayed Paul, in case you're wondering, were named Demas and Hermogenes. They're also mentioned in Second Timothy, though in a far less favorable light than Onesiphoros, who would go on to become a saint. In this story, Demas and Hermogenes betrayed Paul by falsely claiming that he called everyone to celibacy. 
A short glimpse at Paul's actual letters, of course, reveals what a ridiculous lie that was. The Apostle goes to great lengths to defend the vocation of marriage, and indeed the marital embrace, as a great mystery, pointing to Christ's love for his church. But that didn't matter to the prefect. Convicted of teaching a novel doctrine, which he didn't really hold, Paul was summarily thrown into prison. But the Apostle was not left to rot. In the middle of the night, Thecla snuck out of her parents' house and made her way to the city jail. She bought her way into the prison by offering her bracelets and silver mirror to the guards. You can imagine St. Paul's joy, along with his surprise, when this girl he'd never met suddenly appeared in his prison cell, wanting to know all about Christianity. He spent the rest of the night teaching her the faith, and an affection like that of a father and a daughter blossomed between the two saints. Alas, they were not left to speak in peace. Finding out that she'd fled, Thecla's parents called for Thamaris and set about looking for her. Eventually, they found her at the prison and brought both the apostle and his student to the prefect's court. Condemning them both for their new religion, the prefect ordered that Paul be whipped and expelled from the city. Thecla might have expected a lighter sentence on account of her age and sex, but her mother, of all people, was so horrified of Christianity that she asked the prefect to burn her daughter alive. And so Thecla was brought to the amphitheater of Iconium, where executions were held as public entertainments. She was placed upon a pyre before the crowd. Did the onlookers pity the poor girl? We'll never know. But as the flames rose about her feet, Thecla received a vision of her new, merciful lord. She felt a sudden stirring to reach out her hands in the shape of a cross, and as soon as she did so, a torrential storm appeared in the heavens, and rain hammered down upon the amphitheater, extinguishing the flames. In the chaos that followed, Thecla managed to escape. She disguised herself as a boy, and fled from the city in search of Paul. Outside town, she soon met an actual boy, one of Paul's loyal companions from the house of Onesiphorus. That Christian family had left Iconium along with the Apostle, and together they had all taken refuge in a tomb along the road to Syria. Paul had sent the boy back to the city with his tunic to sell for bread, and the lad returned unexpectedly with Thecla, for whom Paul had been praying all along. Once again, we can imagine the cinematic scene. The exiled Paul, kneeling shirtless in a crypt with scourge wounds fresh on his back, looking up from his prayers to find them answered. Reunited, the two saints joined in a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. They broke bread together, and soon got to work, planning their next mission for the cause of Christ. Thecla, young and zealous, wanted to cut off her hair as a sign of consecration and be baptized right away. But St. Paul, with a father's patience, encouraged her to wait until the time was right. Parting from Onesiphorus and his family, who returned to Iconium, Paul and Thecla set out along the road to Antioch, the wealthiest city of the Roman world, capital of the ancient land of Syria, 
and home to many pagan cults. Amid the sights, smells, and sounds of that decadent city, where traders hawked silks and spices, where the scent of incense rising from heathen altars mingled with the stench of camel's dung, where slavers called out the selling points of their hapless human cargo. There, in the heart of Antioch, the two saints faced their next trial. Passing through the market during a pagan holiday, Paul and Thecla were accosted by a local nobleman named Alexander, who was playing a leading role in the festivities. Dressed in a pompous robe and a crown of golden laurels bearing the image of the emperor, Alexander demanded to buy the girl as a slave. Paul, of course, explained that Thecla was not his property, but his words fell on deaf ears. Desiring the girl for his own, Alexander grabbed hold of Thecla in the middle of the streets and tried to make off with her. She resisted, ripping apart his ridiculous outfit and knocking the crown from his head. The laurels fell. Down, down, down. And landed in the dust. That was all Alexander needed to have Thecla arrested and brought to the prefect of Antioch. It was bad enough, in Roman eyes, that she had humiliated a nobleman, but far worse that she had desecrated the image of the emperor that rested on Alexander's crown. The emperor, if not yet exactly a living god, was a sacred figure for the Romans. To violate his icon was sacrilege. Found guilty of that heinous crime, Thecla was sentenced to be fed to wild animals in the amphitheater of Antioch. She was tied to a stake in the arena and forced to watch as a pride of lions were unleashed to devour her. But a strange thing happened. The lions, instead of attacking their victim, simply curled up next to her and began to lick her feet like house cats. Enraged, the masters of the amphitheater ordered the girl to be flung into a pit of venomous snakes. But once again, the creatures refused to harm Thecla. Finally, she was placed in front of a charging bull, but managed to slip from her fetters and jump into a pool of water in the arena, where she, quote-unquote, baptized herself. More on that in a moment. The Roman prefects, watching with amazement, asked her, Who are you, that you are always saved? Thecla replied, perhaps with a smile, I am a daughter of Christ, son of the living God. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who protects me. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Even Alexander the man who had tried to get Thecla killed, was so impressed that he urged the prefect to let her go. With a newfound fear of Thecla's god, the official did so. Freed from her ordeals, Thecla embarked on further adventures with St. Paul, leading many souls, such as the Queen of Thrace, a Roman client state in the Balkans, to the Christian faith. In time, she returned to Iconium, where she found that Thamaris, her suitor, had died, 
but her mother, who had pleaded for her to be burned alive, was still breathing. Without any desire for vengeance, St. Thecla confronted her mother and explained the truth of her faith. We don't learn if her mother was moved to repentance, but we can at least hold out hope. Departing for the last time from her hometown, Thecla retired to a cave near Seleucia in Syria. There she remained until the ripe age of 90, living the life of an ascetic before dying in peace. At this point, you may be wondering why Thecla is considered the first female martyr when she didn't actually die for the faith. The answer is that martyr, the Greek word for witness, meant something rather different in the early church than it does today. An ancient martyr was someone who witnessed the Christian faith by showing a willingness to die for it. St. Thecla easily meets that description, and so the long lineage of virgin martyrs, Lucy, Cecilia, Agatha, Agnes, and countless others down the centuries, can trace its origins back to her. Thecla was widely regarded as the first of her kind in the early church, and in time she was granted the title Is Apostola, equal to the apostles. The cult of St. Thecla flourished, in spite of some difficulties surrounding her life. Earlier I mentioned that the acts of Paul and Thecla proved controversial among some of the church fathers, in particular Tertullian of Carthage. Now Tertullian was one of the giants of patristic theology. He was the first father to write in Latin, for one thing, and despite his cold and humorless attitude, he wielded great influence in the early church. In his treatise on baptism, Tertullian singled out the acts of Paul and Thecla for condemnation on the grounds that it gave women undue authority. Specifically, Tertullian objected to the portrayal of Thecla teaching and baptizing. In his mind, women had no place doing either. With a rather strained reading of 1 Corinthians 14, where St. Paul reminds us that only men, whom we should read as priests or deacons, can give homilies at Mass, Tertullian dismissed the biography of St. Thecla as so much nonsense. Needless to say, no Catholic theologian today can find anything objectionable about a woman teaching outside of church or having the ability to baptize, even if the latter should normally be done by a priest. We learn more from Tertullian about his own stern rigidity than about the true role of women in the church. But it's curious that one aspect of Thecla's life, which really should raise eyebrows, went unmentioned by Tertullian. The claim that she baptized herself in the waters of the amphitheater. With the benefit of 20 centuries of doctrinal developments, we now know that it's impossible for anyone to confer the sacrament of baptism on himself or herself. But in the early church, sacramental theology was not as clear and exact as it is today. Whether or not Thecla really did try to baptize herself, we shouldn't throw out her whole life because of one strange detail. The lives of the saints, as we'll see over and over again on this podcast, are full of oddities and ambiguities, and the further back we look, the more of those we find. 
that shouldn't scandalize us. Rather, it should make us thankful that we now stand on the shoulders of many saintly giants. So what should we take away from the life of Saint Thecla? I think a few points stand out that are still highly relevant today. First, Thecla provides a model of fearless devotion to Christ. Trusting in Jesus completely, despite having spent only a couple nights learning about his faith, she shows us what can be done when we give ourselves over to our heavenly bridegroom and let him carry us to victory. Second, she teaches us the value of chastity, not just as the avoidance of something bad, but as the joyful sacrifice of something good. It's not a coincidence that Demas and Hermogenes try to catch St. Paul on this issue. There really were Christians, if you can call them such, in the earliest days of the Church, who denied the goodness of the human body, and of human sexuality in particular. They were called Gnostics, and their heresy is unfortunately still with us today. Whenever someone overreacts against the decadence of the modern world, and concludes that all things of the flesh must be evil, that's a form of Gnosticism. Saint Thecla, like her mentor Saint Paul, shows us the opposite. We learn from her that marriage is not wicked, but very good. So good that a rare few, like the Virgin of Iconium, are called to give it up, to pursue their marriage to Christ directly. Third, and finally, the joint mission of Paul and Thecla gives an example of how great friendships can emerge from unlikely beginnings. Paul, preaching in the house of Onesiphorus, had no idea that his future companion was listening. But from that crossing of paths, a love like that of father and daughter was soon to be born. A love that would go on to win many souls for Christ. St. Thecla is commemorated on the 23rd of September in the Catholic Church, and the following day in Eastern Orthodoxy. She's not as well known today as she was in the early Church, having been eclipsed by the later, more famous virgin martyrs whom we honor in the Mass, and no doubt the humble saints would have wanted it that way. Still, we ought to pray to her to deepen our own purity, courage, and dedication to Christ. Not for nothing is she invoked in a traditional Catholic prayer over the dying, as thou didst deliver the Holy Virgin and Martyr Thecla from three most gruesome torments, so deliver the soul of this thy servants, and let him or her enjoy with thee the blessings of heaven. If you would like to learn more about devotion to St. Thecla, I've included links to prayers and resources for further reading in the show notes. May St. Thecla, Virgin, Martyr, and equal to the apostles, come to our aid, now and always, for the greater glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless.